Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And stay tuned till the end where we're also going to share some exciting offers and opportunities. And please do feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. Today, you're in for, well, I was going to say two special treats, but actually there's three. They are Inspiration from Zion first. The first one was not meant to be a treat, nor was it planned, but I'm speaking from my dungeon office um, isolation room, having been diagnosed and tested positive with corona. And I say that not for sympathy, though certainly prayers are welcome. And you'll please excuse me if you hear me coughing um, or sneezing a little bit. Those tend to be some of my uh, relatively mild uh, symptoms. But really more significantly, the two inspiration from Zion first, we're having a conversation with Lily Cerrone, who I'll introduce formally in a moment, but it's significant because it's the first time that we're hosting a new guest just weeks after hosting her mother as a guest. So I (laughs) certainly encourage you to scroll back as you're listening to this and find episode 34, which aired on March 10th, which is really, really something that I want to encourage that you listen to. And I don't say that just uh, lightly, it was really, it was really outstanding and stunning. And you'll, if you hear that before or after, you'll kind of have a sense of where Lily's coming from um, in in her background. Um, but it was stunning, and I know this conversation will be as well. It's also the first time, uh, or a first rather, for inspiration from Zion, because it's the first time we're hosting a guest who's considered what's called a millennial. Now, typically, I would never mention anyone's age, as that really doesn't matter so much to me. But in this case, you're going to be impressed with Lily's commitment and her faith, but also at her age, her knowledge and her maturity. Being the parent of a few children who happen to also be in her generation, that's really something that's worthwhile noting here. Being a millennial is also significant because we're going to talk about the disturbing trend among young Christians not to care about Israel and even resist supporting Israel. And as I said, normally age doesn't matter, but when we're seeing a trend like this impacting a whole generation, it's important to look at that through the eyes of someone who's part of that generation. But now let me tell you why I'm excited to have Lily here as our guest, specifically as Lily. Lily's passion for Israel traces back to her first visit when she was just 11 years old. And that's... Again, we're going to hear some pretty insightful things, not just for a millennial, but rewinding a bit um, as an 11-year-old. After experiencing the miracle that Israel is, she started on a path 
to become a Christian advocate for Israel to anyone who would listen. In 2015, Lily took a very big leap and moved to Israel at the age of 18 to get her bachelor's degree from what was then called the IDC, Herzliya, now Reichman University, building a life for herself in Israel among the numerous challenges only made Lily more uniquely able to build bridges between Israelis and her Christian community. And today, Lily continues to advocate for Israel through her work with the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem as their Arise Young Adults Program Director and Social Media Manager. After seven years of of living in the country, Lily is convinced that Israel is where her heart resides and her commitment to continuing her advocacy for the nation and people of Israel in the land and abroad. Lily, welcome. It is really a delight on so many levels, on all those levels, and so many more, just to have you here as my guest today. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I'm so excited to be with you. Yeah, now I want to speak broadly, but I, I, but, and we'll get to that. And it's really important, and I hope that this will be really widely listened to. And, and, and I'm confident that those who do, you're going to move some hearts, maybe change some hearts, and it's important. But today as we speak, is Yom Hatzma'ot, Israel's Independence Day. And yesterday we observed, which is probably the only place in the world where Memorial Day precedes uh, Independence Day. What's that like for you? You're here now seven years. It's not a, a short period of time. You've experienced this before. But what's it like as a Christian, not an Israeli, being here, mourning the 26,000 victims of war and terror, and then flipping on a dime and celebrating our independence. What's that feel like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's, for me, a huge juxtaposition to how the U.S. does it. Um, obviously, being an American, I grew up, you know, with the 4th of July uh, and more Memorial Day being distant from that day uh, in the U.S. And so something that was really impactful to me was when I moved to Israel as a college student and meeting a lot of my friends who were either just fresh out of the army or were still in the army at that point. Um, It was really, really stark, the difference between how they feel about Memorial Day and Yom Atzimut, Independence Day, being so close uh, to their service. And I think one, one of the most beautiful things about Israel is that the way that they've structured these holidays, it's quite intentional and it helps the whole country really come to the same place of, you know, sorrow and then joy. Mm. Because uh, last week we had Yom HaShoah, which was uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day. And I think it's beautiful that Israel starts out these three you know, kind of markers with Holocaust Memorial Day, because you remember, obviously, the six million Jews who were murdered in the Holocaust, and the survivors are honored here in Israel, those that are still among us. Uh, and so that is a day of mourning, a day when the whole country stops, comes to a standstill to to honor their memory. But then the next week, when Yom Zikaron, when Memorial Day comes, we stop to memorialize those that have died since the the founding of the state, and those that have um, obviously fallen in war, who have been killed in terrorist attacks as well, um, and abroad. And then, like you said, on a dime, the next day, we yeah. come to uh, 
Yamatsumaut, and it's almost like the entire country breathes this sigh of, okay, we've sat in our grief and we've mourned and we have uh, memorialized these heroes. And now we have the opportunity to, with that in perspective, celebrate the joy that it is to live in a free Jewish state today. And I think that's indescribable. Well, it's interesting that you say that because on Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Memorial Day, I wrote something that went around quite a lot, uh, reflecting on the fact that uh, Holocaust Memorial Day is what we commemorate when we didn't have a state. Now, taking your words for this week, Memorial Day for those who've fallen in war and terror is a sad consequence and the reality of having the state, but we're still celebrating the state. We grieve, but we're still celebrating tremendously. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for myself, um, and my own personal experience, I didn't really draw a lot of uh, real reflection out of Memorial Day or Independence Day in the United States because Americans, we go to a picnic, we take the boat out, we, you know, barbecue, whatever it is, it doesn't really feel somber. It's like, oh, it's a work holiday, Memorial Day. Correct. Um, and, and I think only for those that have actually served in the military, is it uh, a solemn day, which I think America uh, could learn from Israel in that sense. Um, but for Israelis, especially those, you know, that I know, I feel like they all, well, all, all of them, even the ones I don't know, they had someone die in a war. They have experienced a terrorist attack or someone they know has. There's just no degree of separation between them and the reality of being without a Jewish state and now being with a Jewish state. Right. And so I think that makes the holiday extremely uh, poignant because it's, you know, it's, it's real to them. It's their lived experience instead of just something that they're supposed to think of from years in the past. Well, I don't think I've ever done this before and I'm not going to give away any of it, but coming with American Memorial Day at the end of the month and then the 40th anniversary of the beginning of the Lebanon war, when I, when I was here, I wasn't, I wasn't, I had not yet acquired my Israeli citizenship, but I was here that summer and a man with whom I'm still very close became my friend that summer weeks after his brother was killed on the first day of the war. So it really is very personal. And you're right, but also being an American, it's still glaring to me when you go into a store on Memorial Day weekend in America, and as you're paying, the person at the register will say, Happy Memorial Day. Right. Right. right? right. Which is, which is, so we, we uh, Americans and, and others around the world can, can certainly learn. And I, and I'm glad for you sharing that from a, from a, fresh perspective before going into we're we're talking about it we're celebrating the restoration of jewish sovereignty here 74 years now before going into you more personally when you look at israel when you and you live here you're you're immersed among us what and maybe especially today but in but perhaps in general what scripture comes to mind what just jumps out in your face as being so extraordinary Oh, there's so many. Um, but I think the the scripture that comes to me 
is that one I'm gonna forget the reference but it's they were glad when they returned to Zion yeah. I, I think like wow. that that gladness I think amongst all of the you know war and terror and all the things that Israel has had to endure since its beginning the gladness of the Jewish people and the joy that I think just bubbles from within them from being in the place where God has placed his name and where he's placed their name I think that is the thing that stands out to me the most is you see Israelis and they are so proud they're so happy to be this you know, thriving Jewish state after so many thousands of years of bitter history and bitter persecution. And I think that that joy of, you know, I was glad when they said to me, go up to Zion. Yeah, I, I that's that's the thing that I see in Israel. And I, it's the thing that I see, you know, and we see today on Yom Atzimut is dancing in the streets and people who are so just jubilant to be an Israeli in a, in a free state. And yeah. I think um, that's probably the thing that stands out to me most. It's, it's beautiful. I'm glad you said that. And it's correct. I don't know who the people who do it, but every year there's somebody who does a happiness index of, and measures the happiness of the countries in the world. And we're always like in the top 10. Um, yeah, Israelis are you, at the top. Right. You know, take, after, after a couple of uh, Scandinavian countries, who, who don't have war, who don't have any problems, life is good, it's a lot of big socialist welfare countries that give away a lot of money. And so life is very comfortable for them. And that's not as a judgment, but then shortly below them, Israel. And it is amazing. And you're right, we are happy. And, it, and it's so good for you to reflect on that. Um, before I go into the kind of global issues that I want to talk about with you from your unique perspective, I want people to understand you and your heart. Um, sure. I, I know you came here the first time you were 11 years old. Your mother mentioned it as being this pivotal thing in your life. Was that, and, and I, and I should have listened because I would have liked to play back her quote. Um, that would have actually been really smart for me uh, to do. And I'm not going to fake it and pretend like we did and, and edit <laughs> in here, but what was it? What was it as an 11 year old that, that, yeah. that clicked with you? Well, I just first have to say that I'm a little hurt. Well, not hurt, but uh, I'm a little intimidated that I'm now coming after Julie Cerrone because I don't know if there's any following her, um, but I will do my best. Uh, you, you, you're, you, you're a woman who stands on her own. I, I confirm <laughs> that. Um, no, but uh, truly, I mean, I wouldn't have been in Israel as an 11-year-old if it wasn't for my mom and her vision. So I, I do um, obviously thank her for her ability to hear from God um, and put our family in a place to hear from him as well. Um, as an 11-year-old, I came over. I had never been out of the United States besides, I, well, I shouldn't say that if you count Canada. Um, but uh, some, still, some still count Canada as, as a separate country. Right. So... Um, I came over and the woman who was leading the trip is a pastor. Her name's Billy Brim out of France, Missouri. And she kind of just took to me. She put me in the front seat of the bus with her and wow. she asked me and I would carry her Bible around from wow. site from site to site. And I would just sit there and as close as I could get and listen to her teach about Israel, because 
Billy herself had been coming to Israel for like over 30 years. She was here in the 70s. She went to Opanakiva and Netanya and like speaks Hebrew. And I was just so fascinated by this woman. And the thing that was uh, most impactful to me, I think, is that she worked really hard to make sure that we met Israelis on that trip. And we didn't just stop at all of the Christian sites and see all, you know, this is where Jesus was here and, and all those things, which obviously that's the core tenets of my faith. And that's what you, I want to see on an Israel yeah, tour. Sure. But I think what Billy understands and then passed to me, my family, um, and a lot of others is that you can read the whole Bible as a Christian and it can feel like a story and it can feel um, you know, like a heritage, but until you see and meet the modern state of Israel and the modern people of Israel, you don't understand the miracle that the Bible is. And like touching that miracle by being here in the country, meeting Israelis was really the thing that changed my entire life. Like going from having Christianity and the Bible taught to me my whole life and believing it truly, um, but then seeing it in action, sensing the presence of God in this place, meeting Israelis and watching them, sometimes even without their own knowledge, walking out the plan of God without even knowing it in, right. in some, some sense was breathtaking. Even at 11, I understood that this place that I was walking around in was a miracle that I had read about my whole life and was now experiencing. And so I think... Um, that knowledge it just sort of ignited my faith and it ignited my passion and I believe that advocating for Israel is the thing that the Lord has uh, called me to do in my life and it's something that you kind of catch like corona (laughs) you don't look for it you don't look for it you are you know a lot of some people are actively trying to avoid it right But I think God, because he has a plan for bringing Christians and Jews together in unity and in brotherhood, sisterhood, he drops that little thing in our hearts that when we meet each other and when we meet Israel, that we just catch this itch and we can't get rid of it. And that's really what happened to me when I was 11. Uh, And so I'm sure mom talked about it, but I became this like crazy, weird little Israel kid (laughs) in my middle and high school. And I wrote every essay I could about Gold of My Year and Menachem Begin and David Ben-Gurion and, and anyone uh, that I could because I just wanted to learn. I wanted to learn this whole side of the Bible, of my faith, of Judaism that I had never come in contact with in America um, just because the environment that I grew up in was very Christian. And truly, I actually had never met a Jewish person person until I came on that trip at 11 years old. So it was a whole culture shock also at one one time. Well, but was it, was it like, were you, you you said that Billy Brim wanted, that was part of the trip. You were actually meeting people, but were you meeting and fellowshipping or were you just looking at us kind of like at, and and I don't mean it in a pejorative way, but like animals in a zoo, like, oh, there's another Jewish person um fulfilling prophecy walking down the street how cool that's a pretty jewish person or 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 did you actually have some in some connections yeah um no we definitely had real connections obviously we had 
times that we would invite someone to speak and, and hear their story and it was okay. more formal. Um, just for example, we went to go stay at the uh, Etzel Hashemron Hotel in Ario. Oh, yeah, wow. Um, and so Billy was really big on, we need to have these people stay in Judea and Samaria and understand what's going on here. And, you know, I'm not sure if it's true now, but at the time it was the only hotel in, in the West Bank for, for foreigners. Um, but was, and there, was that before there was a terror attack there? No, it was after, after, after both of them. So they had Menachem and Tova, the owners, sit with us and share their story Got and it. why they still stayed. Why were they continuing this hotel? So that was like a little bit more formal, but I think more so for me, um, and I think God orchestrated this, obviously, yeah. um, the owner of the tour company uh, who brought Billy's tour, Ronnie Levy, uh, who owns Covenant Tours, brought his daughter on the trip. Uh, and she is two years older than me and so she was 13 and I was 11 and she was this like amazing beautiful like fun Israeli girl that I met and she was only supposed to come for like one of the days but then she asked her dad like can she stay for a couple days because we became buddies and so then we would go on the trip and she would tell me you know oh, I've never been here before. I have been here before. I didn't know Christians thought that or whatever. And so even as like an 11 year old meeting my first Israeli friend was kind of the thing that I was like, oh, wow, these people are are totally different to what I know, but I'm fascinated. Neat. Um, I, I hope that people are listening as I am and saying, wow, I know an 11, 12, 13 year old child who I need to share this with, but in case someone's listening and hasn't had that thought yet, um, honestly, I think we could wrap up the conversation here and just say, go share this. I want to take just a moment to remind you not to miss out on winning a free book about Israel from Jonathan's bookshelf. Just follow Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and share the link to this program. Each time you share this, You'll be entered into our monthly drawing to receive an important book from my own collection that you're going to want to have for your own library. Because I want to know more. Now you're here. You're, I, I, I know I asked you once. It's not relevant. You're a millennial. You're the age of my kids. Um, you haven't come and met my kids yet. We will fix that. I hope after everyone's healthy. Um, yes. But now as a, mature, and I don't mean it old, but a mature young woman in her 20s living here for several years. What's it like? What's it like being a Christian American here living among the majority, a country that's a majority Jewish Israeli? Yeah, I mean, definitely coming at the age that I did when I came to live full time at 18 was a huge culture shock. Um, And I, I always tell Christians, actually, that it was the thing that solidified my faith was having to come outside of my bubble to a place, you know, from Texas where everybody looks like me, everybody speaks like me, everyone thinks like me because Christian in <laughs> Texas, there's like dime a dozen, right? And then I came to IDC and I was the only Christian in my class. And I was with, you know, Israelis, I was with Jews that were... Um, living in the diaspora, but coming to study Israeli Arabs, Druze, like the whole 
you know, kind of microcosm of Israel was in my class. And every single day, all for all three years, somebody was like, who are you and why are you here and wow. why do you care? And so I had to really reflect within myself of like, hey, Lily, you've got yourself here. Like, what is it that you really believe about this place and these people? And how do you convey that to someone who is 22, 24, 27 in school with you who may not be religious, may not have that much knowledge of the Bible, may openly disagree and think that it's a hoax, right? So that was something that was really formative for me was in my own faith, I had to figure out how do I explain myself for being here? Because the the average Israeli uh, was like, America's amazing. Why would you choose to right. move all the way here, right. like to this difficult place where, you know, stuff closes down on the weekends. You don't have a car. You don't speak the language. It Life's harder. Like, why would you do that to yourself if you don't have to? And so I really got the opportunity um, to share that. And I think for me, my greatest privilege in being in Israel is to meet Israelis and help them understand through my commitment to Israel how special they are. Not just like in the scheme of the world, but to God and and the purpose for Jewish people being in Israel. And I, I have Israelis that say it to me all the time. They're like, wow, after like I speak to you, I, I feel like so convicted to to, you know, live a stronger life or, you know, do more for Israel or, or whatever, because they're like, I'm a Jew and I, I feel like I should but you came all the way over here and now you're making me feel bad about it. But that's obviously not the intention, but it is a privilege of mine to be able to, um, to speak to Israelis who oftentimes feel like they're isolated and they're alone in the world and no one agrees with them or cares for their country. And to be able to say, no, there are hundreds of thousands, millions of Christians, evangelicals around the world who are constantly praying for you, constantly um, sending money to give to the country to, you know, uh, support the state of Israel. And I'm one of those people and I just happen to live here, I think brings it all to the forefront of their reality. And, and a lot of them have never experienced that before. And so that's like my great, great privilege. Oh, for sure. Most of us have not experienced that before. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking of the conversation from a few weeks ago with your mother, because we spoke about some of the, she, she's always find it, found it uh, uh, funny in, in some of the weird conversations that I, as an Orthodox Jew, have interacting with Christians. And I've had a lot, and, and there's some of the, that she and I spoke about. But as long as she and I had that conversation, w- w- t- share one of the most unique or unusual experiences that you had in a sense, um, giving that giving that encouragement to Israelis. Yeah, I mean, I think the most unique one. Um, I was speaking to uh, a friend in college, and her uh, sister was also in the country. She was coming to visit, and I my friend was explaining, you know, how she met me and we're in school together and like kind of briefly who I was. And 
her sister was like, um, don't you feel like it's a little condescending that you're here? And I was kind of taken aback because I was like, what, really? Like condescending. That's like the last thing (laughs) that I'm trying to communicate, right? And I did realize that on some some level it could be viewed that I came over here because I think I need to tell the Jews a thing or two which is <laughs> definitely not true but like I do it was something also that I experienced you know acutely being an American because Americans we take great pride in our relationship with Israel and our support of Israel but I honestly didn't know that there were also quite a few Israelis that kind of resent that relationship within themselves because they're like we don't need America we don't need to be protected by America. We are our own country. We don't need America telling us how to, you know, divide the land, run diplomacy, yeah. whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And so, like, that was something that I had to learn to navigate as well was how do I communicate my love and my commitment and my joy at being in this place and my support without sounding like, you're welcome for me being here (laughs) you know (laughs) so that was that was like definitely something I never thought I would encounter wow all right it's important that you share that thank you um let let's come into that uh big topic that I that I specifically want to address with you though it's something that's on my heart and I've been speaking with a lot of people about it's just now about a year exactly a year since the first of two studies came out reporting that in the previous decade, support among young Christians like yourself for Israel has dropped by 50%. It's astounding. Like it's, it's, it's such big numbers that it's hard to believe. And it's scary to believe on a whole host of levels. And I want to unpack it from your perspective. But first of all, do you think it's accurate? Do you see it? Yeah, no, I definitely think it's accurate. I think that if you were to ask, you know, if you were to put all of my friends in a room who are Christians in the United States, the oh, most of the contact they have with Israel is because they know me. They're like, oh, I have that one crazy friend that lives there. Yeah. Like, that's me. <laughs> um, however, for me, I think it's first and foremost an educational problem. Okay. I think it's an educational problem within churches where they read about Israel, obviously our whole Bible mentions Israel. (laughs) So uh, it's forefront, but it's never connected to the modern day country. And so there's a lot of it that it's like, okay, this is our faith and this can live within within you. And it doesn't, excuse me, doesn't necessarily need to color your political beliefs or your ideologies or anything like that. And so most Christian young people today, I would say, are getting to their college campuses with no formal education on Israel, even though they've been Christians their whole lives. And so I think the only thing that makes them different in that sense from their grandparents and grandparents, um, grandparents especially, is one, the Christianity I feel in the United States was much more rooted to kind of its biblical Jewish roots two generations ago the songs the hymns the music like the the prayer style all of it was much more you could say traditional 
And so I think it, like the people who were Christians then felt this kinship that maybe we don't understand today. Number two, my grandparents lived and experienced Israel coming back into being a state. Yeah. It was on their their news feed, right? Like they were like, wow, this is happening in, in our lifetime. And so even if they weren't being taught it in their churches, they were observing it with their eyes. And so that was also coloring their opinion of the state, especially, you know, post-Holocaust, the Jews coming back, being victorious, founding a state and like Israel getting into itself. That's a whole experience outside of what their religious experience is. I can't say that for my generation because my generation, what's been happening alongside a lack of education is a very direct misinformation and miseducation scheme on the other side. And everything that we're seeing in our news coverage is anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian today. So I would say that even beyond like the what's physically being taught in churches, which is not enough in my opinion, what people are seeing in the headlines is coloring their faith because they don't have a strong enough biblical background on Israel. They don't have a biblical background. They don't have historical perspective. And, right. and they aren't necessarily feeling like they're any less Christian, but they're not, you know, if we go, we're both American, we use the baseball analogy of not, uh, they may be connecting, but they're not following through. Right, right. I also think we've moved into, in my generation, this kind of era of um, social justice and social advocacy being a style and a hobby. And one that has happened on American, specifically college campuses, you see these like, you know, social justice days where you can walk into the quad of a university and there's like 50 booths of atrocities and causes and things that are happening around the world, which to their credit, I think it's important that we're aware as much as possible of what's going on in the world. We don't just live in our own little American bubble. I think that's bad for us. But as a young person walking through that kind of uh, atmosphere, you can feel like, wow, there's so many things pulling and buying for my attention and my feelings and my sympathy that if you don't have a specific biblical grounding to make Israel more important to you, it's just going to feel like another issue on the docket of, you know, tragedies happening around the world. And on top of that, the information you would get on a college campus is not going to be, for the most part, pro-Israel. So they're fighting, Christian young people are fighting their own lack of education, and then a culture that's now telling them to care about everything equally at all times which means they can't elevate one cause above the other cause. Or put or put uh, a particular cause into a, its biblical context. Right, right. Okay. So actually, I, I, I want to tell you a secret, just you and me, no one else is listening. I really <laughs> kind of hoped that you would say, oh, no, Jonathan, I don't really see that problem. I, I, I think that my generation is really pretty on board, and I'm not really sure where that survey came from. So I'm dismayed. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Dismayed. I'm dismayed to hear the reality because it's a concerning reality. I want to take a break for just a moment, but um, but when I come, we come back. I want to and, and to to know people. We're leading 
to something that's significant, I want to say, okay, if this is the reality, then, then what can be done? So let's just take a break for one moment. In addition to inspiration from Zion, another Genesis 123 Foundation program, Run for Zion, is the first program uniquely for Christians centered around the Jerusalem Marathon, creating meaningful and lasting experiences. We look forward to having you be able to join us in person soon, but now are offering you a way to connect from wherever you are in the world through virtual tours, webinars, and briefings. For information or to register, please go to runforzion.com. Join Run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. Okay, so Lily, you've, you've, you've sufficiently burst my bubble and confirmed that the... <laughs> That that the that the there there is a problem among your generation, and it, by the way, it's important to note, and I don't have the the uh, the resource in front of me, but also just recently, very recently in the last week or two, there was a, a survey released that it's not just among American Christians, American Jews um, are, mm-hmm. are are their support, and not only their support because the, the good news, being a, a pun intended, I suppose, being a Christian is that you're not necessarily hiding and running from your faith on a college campus. Not necessarily. I, I get it. No, there is. But American Jews are, yeah. are um, fearful of the consequence of some of these symptoms that you've, that you've depicted and are hiding their faith and hiding their support of Israel to the extent that they have faith and support for Israel. Um, now, I'm uh, maybe we'll get to this, but I want to just put out there, I'm troubled, of course, as it relates to Israel, and I want to speak to you about that, but I'm one of, one if not the only Orthodox Jews that you know, who will say I'm also troubled for what it means about uh, the church, the relationship of young Christians to the church. Yeah. And so my question to you Okay, Billy Brim gave you her Bible to carry around. Jonathan Feldstein is now giving you his figurative magic wand and say, okay, Lily Cerrone, what, how do we fix it? Wave the wand. Tell us what's the solution right. for, for the, the, the survey that will come out 10 years from now where we see 150% increase in mm-hmm. support. How do we do it? Well, yeah, I mean... First, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. I didn't want that to be the case. Um, But I do want to uh, say something which I find encouraging, which is while this trend has been happening, another one has been happening alongside it, which I view as a positive trend. Okay. While you have seen, like I would say, your, your correlation between their level of faith and their understanding of Israel is true, that both of those are lacking. I would say that that, in a lot of ways has actually caused a change within the church that I'm looking forward to see where it goes in my generation, in the sense of, I would say my generation is one that if you, especially Americans in, in my kind of um, sphere, if you ask them, how do they see themselves? They would definitely align, I think, more centrist in their political beliefs or just numerous beliefs uh, than maybe their parents or grandparents would. But I think that's because their faith challenge growing up has caused them to question a lot. 
I think my generation of Christian has been in a place where maybe they grew up with a lot of things being told to them that they were just supposed to believe and accept. And that pushed them in their younger years to, you know, either rebel or challenge it or question it. But I think like what I've seen uh, for myself in, in a, a number of ways and my friends is that it made our faith stronger because we kind of shed a lot of the facade of what religion is supposed to look like and came down to what does the Bible say and how do we move forward with the truth of the scripture and not just religion as it has been written in the past. So I would call that a positive move, even though for some people it's caused them to fall away from the faith. A lot of people it's caused them to find their faith. So that's fabulous. That's fabulous. And I've had uh, other other friends in your generation tell me that they also they they no longer consider themselves evangelical because that's too tied to politics and certain political leaders and so how fascinating that there is an introspection and people are really digging down to okay what's the, uh, the, the meat and bones the meat and, and yeah. right the flesh and yeah. bones so that's fascinating where I, I've never heard anyone say that before where do you see that how do you how is there is there a I don't know a movement or or is is there a is there a particular church is there a particular set of pastors who are um, not necessarily leading it, but who are embracing this that people can go to for straight biblical talk? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely, I could sit here and name dozens of them, um, a couple that I specifically listen to. Um, but I think for my generation, the thing that's really changed it is the ability to see a pastor on stage speak about their own personal difficulty in a very vulnerable way. Okay. That's what I th- I would say that's the biggest change that I've seen from the generations previous to this one is it's real in the sense that we're done are the days of church when you felt like you needed to walk in in your perfect outfit, perfect hair, amen at every right moment and <laughs> leave and leave without really speaking to anyone about your life because it was a uh-huh. performance. That's, I think, what my generation has really rejected. And what we're moving towards is come to church, come to meet God, come to fellowship with brothers and sisters, and live your life. Like, we all experience pain and suffering and and challenges and difficulties and joys. And we want to be real and be there with each other as God wrote it in the book right? To be a community, to be a family. And so I would say for young Christians that are, you know, also experiencing that it's a revolution for their faith because they don't feel like they have to put on like all the right answers to know God. They can know God in his realist and their realist moment. And that's really important. That's great. I was in a church in Tennessee at the beginning of March. Actually, we use that audio as a podcast on March 31st. And the pastor had asked me a question. I brought him a mezuzah as a present for his new church. The mezuzah, for those who are listening who don't know, is the, um, it's typically viewed as the uh, box, the decorative ornamental box that we 
put on our doorpost, um, as in the text from Deuteronomy telling us to put his words on the doorposts of our house, but it's really actually the text that goes in it. And so he, and I was explaining to him how to put it up. And he said, well, why do you do it that way? And I said, I don't know, but that's how we do it. <laughs> and, and he turned it back into a fabulous teaching moment where how amazing that you just do it when you don't even know, but this is, this is your faith. This is, and, and that was cool because I don't, I never considered that in my life before. It was a teaching moment for us both. Um, so I'm encouraged. I really am encouraged by what you're saying, but are, are, okay. As our resident expert, Lily, are <laughs> the majority of those 50% who have now decreased their support or th- th- those who have decreased their support for Israel, are they experiencing their Christianity as you're depicting it? Or are they migrating away from a church that they feel doesn't speak to them and Israel is a symptom and the the lack of support for Israel is a symptom of that? I think both things. I think, unfortunately, for a Christian young person, if you have a Christian young person who you could say is falling away from their faith, especially like in a college scenario, one of the things they may choose to do in order to dissociate, which is true also for Jews who are trying to dissociate from their own Jewish identity, is to say, well, I'm pro-Palestinian, right? To try and like have their peers not identify with something they're fleeing from. So there is that unfortunate group where they feel like I need to be really vocal in what my community definitely doesn't believe in order to get myself outside of this community. However, I would say um, to to answer your question about like, how do we reach those people? What do we do? How do we give the magic marker and, and make it right? Um, I think that one, it needs to come from leadership down, meaning it has to start with your youth group. Like Christians who are growing up in middle school and high school and going to youth groups at their church it has to be taught there. It has to be a passion and an interest of the pastor, of the pastoral staff, of the education that they're going through. Also, I think uh, for me, I grew up in entirely private Christian schools and it was uh, not in my, and it was not in my education there either. Anywhere. Which, I mean, it was like, I mean, we were, we learned about the Holocaust and okay. we learned and we took Bible class every day. And so obviously you're talking about the stories of the Bible. As an 11-year-old, when I came back from my trip and my teachers saw that it was so impactful to me, not until then did they say, well, Lily, do you want to you know, show a slideshow of your trip? Or do you want to talk about what you learned? Or should we have a class about modern Israel? And then I had a, a teacher when I was in middle school teaching history and she had also been to Israel. And so she put in her own curriculum, we got to talk about how Israel became a state. But basically, other than that, it's not in the written curriculum for most Christian private schools that I've experienced. So I would say, like, step number one, work on getting it into the churches and into the curriculum as something that is, like, on God's heart. (laughs) It can't just be that Christians see it as this outside issue. But it has to be that we understand that 
the Jewish people, the land of Israel, and us as Christians are inextricably linked forever. And that has to color your worldview. Um, I would say beyond that, as I'm, I'm probably the biggest advocate for tours to Israel, I think if I was to have my way, I would put myself on every college campus in America advocating, just come on a bus with me. Give me a week of your time. Let me take you on a life-changing trip and I will change your mind. Like that's, that is the thing that I think really did it for me was I needed to see it. Yeah, but Lily, you were, you were 11. Now you want to clone yourself and put yourself on every college campus. I know. When, when it's that, when it's, those are the people who are saying Israel's not important to me. Is it too late on the college campus? No, honestly, I think the thing that will change it for those Christians on college campuses is Jews in the sense of they need friends. They need to know Jewish friends. Okay. They need to have people who are peers in their age, who are interested in the same things, who are Jewish, who are like, hey, this is a part of my life. And this is something that I deal with as a Jew. And then you will have the Christian be like, oh, I wonder what it should mean to me. Because unfortunately, which I understand because of really bad history between Christians and Jews. Oh, like I said, I didn't know a Jewish person until I came to Israel. And that's not because I avoided them. But I think more so because Jewish communities oftentimes, especially in the U.S., are very insular. And very, um, especially the religious ones, are, are very closed off to their kids having friends that are not Jewish or, you know, and I get that. That's like a survival mechanism, you know? However, if I had had a friend in school or in life that had said, you know, I'm a Jew and this is what I believe and this is, you know, where Israel fits in that, it would have at least had me ask a question. So I think for Christian young people on college campuses, I, they need to meet the Jews that are on college campuses. You know, you have all of these amazing Jewish organizations on college campuses and Pillow and Chabad and, and all of these, you know, uh, and on the Christian side, Kufi um, and Christian Friends of Israel and all, all of these. And they have to know each other and they have to l- figure out how to engage in the dialogue on Israel together when it comes to a college campus and not just to unto themselves into their own group. I think that's something that would sway even someone who's be heard a lot of crazy things by the time they're 18, 19, 20, when in regards to Israel on a college campus. Good. Um, we need to not just clone you. We need to clone Jews because uh, in, in most American universities, on a good day the jews represent the um the the uh demographics of the united states and and there are lots of college campuses i would even argue the majority of them where there at best are a handful of jews and in in many cases there just are none because because uh jews make up what two percent of of the u.s and we're speaking only about the u.s but I actually wanted to ask you and digress and when we'll come back. Um, 
we're speaking both as Americans, you and I, and speaking about the problem in America, but is this a multi-ethnic issue for Christians who are not necessarily American? Um, Christians in Korea, Christians in South America, Christians in Africa, are they, do you see that same trend in your generation that there's less interest or is it not caught up there yet? You know, it's actually interesting. I was speaking to a friend about this the other day. It's kind of a completely opposite trend in other parts of the world. Asia specifically is a big one. India is another one where you have Christian young people who have totally divested from kind of the political interest of Israel and they just read their Bible and they're like, we love Israel. Right. So, I mean, if you look at the Korean church, it's huge. China, the Chinese church, uh, Filipinos, especially Indians. I, I'm just thinking from my experience of my work here in Israel and who we're reaching out to. Sure. They are so pro-Israel. <laughs> like, they send money. They've never been here. They, like, want to visit. They We could publish anything on Israel. It could be, you know, Israel's top 10 falafel joints. And they're reading that article <laughs> because they're so invested. And that's because they've had the religious education. That's wow. because their pastors have sat down and they've gone through, you know, and I think also for, for, you know, Asia, China, I would say China also specifically, their faith is not easy. Their right. faith is counterculture and their faith is not the majority and so they have they they have a lot more opportunity to be persecuted in that sense so when they read the bible and they you know choose to be christian it's precious to them and obviously if you read it in that sense the jewish people are the apple of god's eye and so i would say in on an up note that there are a lot of populations of christian young people around the world if you're taking you know america and europe aside also south america huge amounts of young pro-israel christians uh bolivia brazil argentina off the top of my head guatemala um, costa rica ones that we've interacted with that are like you know in the last two years of my work uh reaching christian young people waiting for israel to allow them back into the country because they want to see it so i would say that you and i have the tendency to focus on the gloom and doom of the West because that's where we're from and that's what our experience yeah. is. But I would say that there's a, actually the contrary, very encouraging trend amongst Christian young people in other places. Well, that's that's really good to know. It underscores uh, uh, cultural issues from America and the West that need to be, I mean, we, we, we pray about, we fix, we vote, we we you know, try and be involved in our, in our communities. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but it's the, it's the, um, perhaps the inevitable um, impeach, breach of the, of of the walls of our faith with a broader culture that takes away some of those, um, some of those issues, which you address, you address in terms of media and 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 it's not that they're necessarily specifically anti-religious but they're things that challenge core pillars of our faith of our respective faith um one of the ones that you touched on that i think is in in the sense of of the social issues that might be 
if not the elephant in the room, an elephant in the room, is it relates to what you said, um, people being pro-Palestinian. Now, I, I am a very proud nationalist, modern Orthodox Israeli Jew, and I don't see any conflict in, in albeit not loving the terrorists, loving our neighbors. And, right. and, and yet the Arab-Israel conflict, the Palestinian-Israel conflict is so, it's, there are, there's a lot of nuance and a lot of nuance that you understand. Maybe, maybe you can address, but, but a lot of media and how that's depicted is not nuanced. It's black and white. And now we're the bad guys. How do you address that in a, in a, in a world of, of young Christians who care, who should care about the well-being of everybody? How do you address Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Um, I think the person that I've heard this speak the most eloquently about it is Yishai Fleischer, um, who I'm sure you know from Hebron. Um, but he basically, I heard him uh, outline it in the sense of what what is a person experiencing today when they look at the conflict in Israel, when they look at the history of Israel. Firstly, they're experiencing the death of the Bible in Western culture, meaning that my grandparents' generation the generation before them, even my parents, were really raised in an America and West where this kind of Judeo-Christian value was at the core. And so that was always a given as where do we start from and then build on. And my generation has definitely seen that, has definitely seen that foundation be dismantled and picked apart of we don't need to believe in God. We don't need to believe in, you know, conservative values. We don't need to believe in, uh, you know, even the constructs of gender in some cases, uh, you name it. So there's that, what Yishai calls the death of the Bible in just general culture that is a shift. Then he, he spoke about uh, the death of the Holocaust, which was kind of what I was saying when I was referencing what my grandparents experienced is we've gotten to the place where most of the world has looked at the Holocaust and said, wow, that was a huge, great tragedy and we're past it. And we're, we're, you know, civilized to the point where that's not going to happen again to the Jewish people. So we're tired of the Jews playing this Holocaust card. Let's not talk about it. So that becomes like a less legitimate argument when you talk about Israel And then beyond that, he speaks also, um, which I've seen, you know, just in my own work about the rewriting of history. When when Christian young people and young people in general observe Israel in the context of what it looks like today, the conflict is framed as Israel, as Goliath, and the Palestinians as David, right? The tiny, disadvantaged, lesser. But when you look at the history of Israel and the history of the Jewish people, it's been the world or even in, and in Israel's history, specifically the Arab world and tiny Israel, David. And so this reframing of the whole context of the conflict in flipping the roles where Israel sits has totally kind of derailed a young person's perspective on who's right and who's wrong. So again, 
I say, if they don't have any biblical background to root in of who's right and who's wrong, what does God say about the whole thing, then it's very easy to just look at news coverage and be like, oh, wow, like Israel is this first world country. They have such like intense, uh, advanced military they're thriving and then you see the pictures out of the PA and, and Gaza and they're like wow these people are so disadvantaged Israel must be the aggressor and so I think the first way to talk about that and and something that I've actually done um even with my own family who are my age it was kind of it was crazy this is just a detour but in the previous conflict last May with Gaza um I had family who were posting, you know, like Israel is, you know, creating a genocide in Gaza. And I'm like, you know me, (laughs) you know that I live here and this is what I eat, sleep and breathe. And you're posting this like crazy meme that is such misinformation. And you didn't even ask your your cousin who lives here, right? Like (laughs) what? And the first thing that I did was ask, why do you assume that this information is true? Good. That's like that's like the base question. Why do you assume that this information that you are reposting, sharing, tweeting, whatever, is true? And if they can't answer that question, then you have to walk them through why is it important to have information that's true? <laughs> you know, like that's like step one. But I think for a lot of uh, my generation, We've gotten really disenfranchised, disheartened by the general news media. I mean, Trump Trump played into that when he talked about fake news. And we saw, you know, like so many uh, news stories in in the past 50, 70 years that were totally politically motivated and to manipulate populations of people to think one thing that unfortunately... A lot of my generation doesn't even read the news. They read Twitter. Right. Or or they listen to the influencer that they prefer, Bella Hadid, whoever. And so they're not even reading any sort of journalistic experience of Israel because they don't care. It's not necessarily relevant to them and it's not trusted like it would be in my parents' or grandparents' generation. So I think you even have this, that's why I say you have to get down to like, why is it important to have true information? Because there's so much of the world that I live in online that the truth is not necessarily relevant. It is your perception that matters. And my generation is entirely wrapped up in how am I perceived? And so if part of how you're perceived is what you say about Israel-Palestine, you don't really care what the truth is. It's just like putting like a jacket on that makes you more fashionable of like, oh, this is the right thing that I need to say in order wow. to be perceived to how I want to be perceived. And but, so I think, which is great, but you also don't own another jacket because, because that's the wardrobe that you have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you put that jacket on, it's really hard to take it off. There you, you go. Wow. Lily, yeah, that's, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I think that, um, who was I listening to? Someone was citing this poll, or not poll, but like a study done on like people who are confronted with uh, truth about a wrong belief that they've held. 
And you'd think that like majority of people would say, oh, wow, like I didn't know that was true. Like I'm going to change my belief to the truth. But the study actually found that like majority of people doubled down on their false belief because they like cannot handle the fact that like their pride has been challenged in such a way that the thing that they have told people they think and that they've posted about and whatever cannot be true. So I think that's even more true for my generation where image and perception are quintessential that if you've, you know, kind of metaphorically already died on that hill, you can't come <laughs> back from it, right? Like yeah. you, you can't come back from, you know, some really intense posts about the conflict, even if you meet someone whose personal experience and historical knowledge tells you that that's blatantly inaccurate. And so I think, unfortunately, we're getting into this new kind of culture of society, which I'm not sure where it's going yet, um, of instead of saying, oh, that was factually proven wrong, we just say, the science has advanced or my opinion has advanced or whatever. And so you never say, you never come out and say like, I was wrong. That was incorrect. I'm sorry that I said that. It just kind of glossed over. And I think that in the case of Israel, you really have to have some stuff straight in order to see the truth of the situation. And if you're not even willing to consider that you might not have all the pieces, it's hard to, to continue that conversation. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed, keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill, they are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. I have a feeling, Lily, that we're going to have a follow-up to this or multiple. <laughs> um, this has been an, an outstanding conversation. And I and and thank God you did not disappoint me. You know, I put my jacket on using your metaphor at the beginning, building you up as this incredible person. And now I'm keeping that jacket on because that was good. And I, I don't have to be, apologize for being wrong. So I'm grateful. Let I want to wrap up and have you as you are, but specifically speaking to your generation of Christians. Um, and I want to do this on, on two different levels. First of all, on a, on a spiritual biblical level, um, we read, there's no shortage of ways that God is telling us, all of us, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to be a watchman on the wall, that, that Israel is mm. the apple of his eye. There's so many things and 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 it's really kind of hard to read the bible and not come away with that 
but mm-hmm. speaking to your generation, what does it mean to you and what do you want others to understand about, about all of these injunctions that God is telling us? Yeah, I would say if I was speaking to my generation, specifically someone who is a Christian, they need to know God for themselves. First of all, you can't accept someone else's revelation as your own. It has to be revealed to you. That's the point of revelation, right? Like you can't say that, for example, this was, this was the children of Israel's problem, right? Is that God revealed things to Moses and Moses communicated them to the children of Israel. And then their children got away from that and it wasn't revelation to them anymore. Okay. So one, I would say if you're a Christian young person and you've been raised as a Christian, you cannot live on the faith of your parents and your grandparents and your church and your community. You have to crack the Bible for yourself and read it and decide how it meets your reality. Um, I also think that um, especially as an American and growing up for the second part of my childhood, um, in the South, there's a, a large like respect culture where in some places you're taught not to question and you're taught not to disagree and you're taught to be nice and kind and wow. sweet and polite. Um, and I think sometimes you as a Christian young person can wrap that into your spiritual identity as well. And I don't think that God wants to know us like that. I think God wants to know the nitty gritty of us. He wants to see us on our worst days. He wants to hear us, you know, at any moment in our life. And that first step of being real with God and real with yourself and with what you believe is the foundation that you need before you add any other belief on top of that. So I would say that's like step number one. And then for my generation to continue when it comes to Israel, realize that what you're reading in scripture is a real group of people. And that it really happened and it's not just a story, even if you haven't experienced Israel for yourself. So experience Israel. If you can come, come. If you don't have the money to come, watch a plethora of online resources about Israel, which I can point you in at some point. Um, But look into it. I mean, that's what I did when I came back from that tour at 11 was I was like, I got to go to the library. I got to find a book. That's when you still went to the library. Right. Feel old. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but research it. If you're going to spend three hours of your evening on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and then you're wondering why you don't know as much about current events as you want to know, look into them. Like you, you are in charge of, of what information you put into your brain. And similarly, the culture that you're surrounded by is incredibly pervasive and don't just settle for their narrative. Ask questions. Like I think, like I said, my, my generation is lent towards that because we've seen a lot of misinformation out there. But just because you get into a place maybe in college where you found your group of people or after that where you've been in a professional sense, um, I don't never settle into a place where you just accept the ideas of your peers without challenging them you have to continue to be one of these really critical people who questions and I think that's something that I've 
definitely been challenged with and learned uh, just being in Israel, because I see that in Judaism a lot more than I see in Christianity is this discussion or this ability to disagree and it not be a questioning of your faith, but more of how do I prove my faith, you know? Um, so yeah, I would say to Christian young people, ask questions, ask many questions as possible, ask them to your friends, ask them to your pastors, ask them to God. And even if your friends and your pastors and your leadership can't answer them, God can. He's not intimidated by your questions. He's not intimidated no. by uh, your, you know, incompetence in a certain area. Um, I would also say, speaking more broadly to maybe a non-Christian young person, especially those who would say that they are, you know, social justice advocates or you know, compassionate empaths is the word. Um, and they hold certain beliefs about Israel that are anti-Israel or, you know, pro-Palestinian. Again, do your research. Because I think blatantly assuming that one side is moral and one side is not moral is actually the least empathetic thing that you can assume. And so if you're going to call yourself a social justice warrior and call yourself, you know, progressive or a liberal, and you, you say that you're fighting for the values of freedom and justice, you need to know more about that claim before you make it about Israel. And so I would also challenge that person. Can you read something from the other side that you don't agree with and view it in an unbiased way because you're trying to gain understanding? Sure. And if sure. you can't, if you can't do that without like your skin crawling and you just being so appalled by the Israeli side, then maybe you should check your opinion because clearly you have no tolerance for a discussion. And unfortunately, if you have no tolerance for a discussion on your beliefs, then maybe you don't believe them so strongly. And wow. I, would, I would say that to someone who's not religious at all, because just because you're not religious doesn't mean we all don't have very strong beliefs that we hold. And so I think um, that if you want to learn more about Israel, you have to come in to the conversation with a disarmed view of I'm going to look at this as it is and I'm going to learn as much as possible and I'm not going to place one person's human suffering above another person's and I'm going to look at you know as much information as I possibly can um that's for a secular person for a biblical person for a Christian for someone who is a bible believer I would obviously say you have to start with the bible because that's the ground work correct um so I don't know if that answered all of your questions, but that that, was... that that answered more questions than you know. And I particularly <laughs> love how you were were intuitive enough to address people who are biblically rooted and people who are not, and not tell people who are not biblically rooted that they need to be biblically rooted, and that's where the answers are. Uh, they, they can find that on their own, but not by preaching and not trying to shove something down their throat where they're not at. So I, I, I really do appreciate that. Um, I appreciate you. I'm so grateful that we had this conversation. You know, originally we talked about maybe doing a conversation with you and your mother. It happened that it worked out this way, your mother first and then you. Um, you, you, you you've certainly come from great stock and, <laughs> and this has been extraordinary. And I want to I want to thank you, not just for your time, of course, but for you being you. Um, 
uh, I, I hope that everyone listening has been as uh, educated and inspired as I have. I, I knew what I wanted to talk to you about and, and you've knocked it out of the park. So thank you. Oh. For thank you. Um, well, thank we'll, you, Jonathan. We, we, will, we will do this again and, and God willing in person. Um, I just want to wrap up with everybody and, and thank people for, for continuing. This is not a difficult conversation to follow, but I always like to say at the conclusion, if you've stayed with us this long, you deserve a reward, not because this is bad, <laughs> but because this has been something extraordinary. And beginning this year, we started doing something called uh, a special gift, um, giving away a volume from Jonathan's bookshelf. And Lily, you talked about education a lot. We're going to find exactly the right one to give away this month. That's going to be that education. That's going to, that's going to speak to people, particularly perhaps of your generation, actually offline. I want to talk to you about a particular book that I have mixed feelings about. Um, maybe that will be it. Um, I want, but in order to get the book, all you need to do is go to the inspiration from Zion social media and follow and like us. And, and when you comment, follow, like, share, we're going to go in and just pick somebody at random uh, to, to receive a copy. So please do that. And please do it anyway, because these are great conversations. I want to uh, extend my thanks uh, to our sponsors. First, our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. I always tell people if you're in the area in Culpeper, Virginia, go and give them a hug and say thank you for making programs like this and conversations like this possible. And thank you to the Coin family as well for their meaningful sponsorship. Uh, inspiration from Zion and all of the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by these generous donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and to build bridges. Um, if you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspiration from zion at genesis uh, inspiration from zion at gmail.com and as always uh especially from this conversation we love your comments we love your questions we love to engage in dialogue and uh, invite you to send your questions as well please do share this there are people who need to hear this conversation and uh and, and please do share and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are safe, are healthy, free of corona, like my, unlike myself, and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you.